Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we are celebrating God is Open's 50th podcast, the Big 5-0. And for this podcast, we're going to be revisiting our initial podcast, the first one we ever did, about what is God is Open, why was it started, and what's the purpose? What are we trying to do with this website, with this podcast? And we're just going to talk about our future plans, things we're trying to do. And we're going to end this podcast talking about something new, something interesting. We're going to talk about social strategy. What is our social climate and how can we use that to our advantage? This is something I've been wanting to talk about for a while. It doesn't really fit in the realm of direct theology, but it deals more with the social aspects of open theism. God is open started back in about 2014 and I founded God is Open because I was paying attention to a lot of these Facebook groups, these Facebook open theist groups, and they were looking for some sort of place where people could get together and collaborate. Now I was kind of fearful about this because the same people who wanted to set up these collaboration sites were also the same people who would shout down, block, and ban people for expressing opinions that they did not share. So, for example, I was in the main open theist group, and I posted an article about the different levels of, th- of authority in the Bible. You got the narrator's words about God, you got God's own words about himself, and then you got man's word about God. You know, like sometimes people in the Bible will say something about God. That has less authority than what God says about himself, or less authority than what the narrator says about God. And there was this big discussion afterwards. And I was accused of all sorts of things. People were trying to mock me, uh, trying to... Just the concept that God spoke, that these events in the Bible really happened. And that was just nuts to me, that someone could come into an open theist group, say that God spoke to Moses in Exodus 32, and people would attack, threaten to ban would mock that person who says that God spoke in Exodus 32. Oh, you think God spoke English? You think those events actually happened? No. It's like, what are you talking about? What? And these are the people who are to be running the face of open theism, the collaboration sites on open theism. Yeah, I can't let that happen. I don't want to censor their voices. And so I needed to be the one to found someplace, a neutral ground where people's views are not going to be censored just because they're unpopular or not in vogue, and a place where all opinions can be published so that people could come to that website and they could see the different varieties of open theism. There's the biblical side. There's the philosophical side. I spent a lot of work trying to build the spectrum, the spectrum that you see on the homepage of God is Open, where it shows all the way to the left is the far philosophical side, the less biblical side, and the more fundamentalist, literalist side is towards the right. And I try to group people on that spectrum according to, you know, where they fall, how much philosophy they introduce to overrule the narratives in the texts. I think I did a pretty good job at graphing this out, illustrating it, putting in extra concepts so that people can conceptually see the wide variety of open theists that there are in this world and the different ways that people can approach open theism. Thomas J. Ord has an article that's very similar that talks about the different approaches to open theism. And they're all 
valid ways to approach open theism. But trying to pretend that one exists to the exclusion of the other, that's not for me. I'm not here for censorship. I'm not here to provide a false narrative. I'm not here to censor people. And me being the moderator and me controlling the website was the way in which I would allow this to all happen. I just don't trust these other people who will ban, who will kick people out for just the slightest perceived infractions. And the God is Open webpage, the Facebook page that is, works fairly similar to this. We've only had to ban maybe one or two people within our two to three years of operation. And those were just very abusive people. They weren't censored for ideology, but uh, posting off topic or being extra abusive towards others. We don't ban people, we don't block people, and we let people share their diverse opinions. Even Calvinists, even Arminians, they're not censored. The idea behind this all is that with a free flow of information, without censorship, people could come to the truth. They could evaluate the evidence for themselves and see what the different positions hold without a controlled narrative, without a controlled filter. One of the things I forgot to mention about our Facebook God is Open page, one of the things that I really like about this is one of our rules is that people have to answer direct questions. You don't get any more of these hit and run Calvinists who just post a meme and then run away and they won't respond to criticism. If someone asks you a direct question, you have to answer it. This makes interaction a lot better. People actually have to defend their views rationally. They can't just run away or avoid questions. Of course, there's reasonable latitude. Some questions are rhetorical. But when you really insist that someone answers a question, they need to do it. In our God is Open Facebook page, questions are the fastest way to cut to the heart of the matter. Questions are the fastest way to undermine someone's belief. If they can't answer basic questions about what they believe, why they believe it, how it works, and if they can't answer criticism, that shows the intellectual bankruptcy of their position. God is open, champions intellectual honesty. It champions question asking and question answering, responding to your critics, addressing their concerns, and explaining your worldview in a way that's not a monologue, in a way that's open to criticism, open to debate. Though people who do not debate, the people who don't put their money where their mouth is, the people who cannot answer criticism, those are the intellectually dishonest people. So one thing that I try to do in God is Open is answer major objections. There's pretty key proof texts used to prove classical attributes. There's, there's uh, commonly used uh, chapters, for example, Romans 9. We have an entire podcast just on Romans 9 talking about all the verses in it, what it means together, and how it works together. What, what's the narrative saying? And it tries to look at things contextually and understand the opposing positions and understand the text to see what the text is saying. For example, try a blog. They say, oh, Ezekiel 16, open theists, they can't understand this text. They don't know what's going on here, and they'll just disclaim this text. Well, we pull it up and we go over it. Uh, we're not afraid of going over the texts that they want us to focus on and look at. But will they ever do that for our proof text? Will they go over in detail what it means in context and how to take it, what it means to the audience? They won't. 
they'll just try to override it. Oh, that's just an anthropomorphism. We don't want to look at those texts. That text doesn't mean what it says it means. And what does that do to the narrative? What does that do to the narrative? One of the things I started doing was every time there's a commentary on a verse, I'm going to put it in a list of verses, and I'm going to make a quick reference sheet. There already is one. It's the verse quick reference project, and that's posted on every Friday. And what the intent is, is to have a quick select list of verses, all the common proof texts, all the counter proof texts, all the proof texts that Calvinists use, all the proof texts that Arminians use, all the proof texts that open theists use, and just talk about those issues in a quick way to summarize what those verses are about, just for quick access. Anyone who's doing any debate or anything, they could just go to this list, click that proof text if someone tries to quote it, and then they got right there an answer, a response, a commentary, depends what the text is being used for. And hopefully what can ultimately happen here is that if someone just spams you a bunch of proof texts and they say, oh, my view is supported by this, 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 and this, and this verse, you could just post a list of those links to those specific verses with commentary on those verses. You defeated their, their trying to shotgun proof texts at you. You could just defeat it super quickly. And that's originally the reason that I started my other blog in the first place is because I got tired of repeating my arguments over and over. And I built up such a backlog of posts, of writings, I could uh, conduct entire debates through posting links to my articles. Like I could explain my point and say, this fully explored at this article. That way, the people who I'm debating, they know that I know what I'm talking about. I've written about this problem before. I've answered this before. This is out there. This is published. This is my work. And I've already thought about this and responded to it. This is not a debate strategy to make friends. People will hate you for it. They'll hate you for linking to answers to all their objections. That's why if you're trying to use this personally, make sure that you respond to it directly and then link them somewhere for further reference. God is open is not just me. It's not just about my views. It's not supposed to be monopolized by my writings. I invite everyone to contribute. I invite everyone to write articles. I'll even publish articles by Calvinists and Arminians. And whoever wants to contribute can contribute. I do not want to censor. The reason that I'm writing most of the Apologetics Thursdays articles and doing most of the podcasts by myself is because I seem to be the only one willing to step up and take charge and actually do it. I understand everyone's busy, everyone has lives, everyone has things to do. And if I didn't step up and do this, no one else would. There's no other podcast out there. There's no other open theist podcast. There's certain podcasts with open theist themes and where open theist guests are on, but there's no podcast directly about open theism like there is about Calvinism or Arminianism or all sorts of other ideas that are very specialized. So. What I got going is unique. We publish guest articles from time to time. We had a process theist that even submitted and we published his work as well, just so that people could understand the different views that are out there. We'll even publish a Calvinist article if you want to publish on God is Open. We often link to Calvinist articles. We link to open theist articles. We try to use Mondays for memes or sometimes free stuff. We'll link free books or memes that are either created by the God is Open website or memes that have been found elsewhere. So it's kind of a fun day. 
Tuesdays and Wednesdays, we usually post links to interesting articles, interesting things that are happening. Then on Thursdays, it's usually some sort of apologetics. We're responding to someone, someone who's critical of open theism, someone who's pressing for Arminianism or Molinism or Calvinism. And it's just responding to common objections to open theism or common ideas that will counter the ideas that are inherent in open theism. On Fridays, we used to publish answers to questions and questions that are unanswerable by Calvinists and Arminians. But then we kind of switched over to this verse reference project just, just to increase the amount of verses because there's only so much time in a day, so much writing that can be done. And we'd like to try to focus it where it can be best used. Saturdays are the days for posting podcast publications. Podcast is available on iTunes and other types of uh, you know podcast sites. It is available there. And it's available at SoundCloud for download as well. You could download it from SoundCloud. You could access this also on the God is Open directly on the webpage. And our podcast is pretty fun. I like a lot of our episodes that we've done. One of my favorite, I would say, would be the Middleton episode where we talked to Richard Middleton about the new heaven and the new earth. Check that out if you can. Direct people to what is open theism. Direct them to the biblical case for open theism, which I probably need to redo to make that a little bit more interesting. But also direct them to the Exodus 32 podcast. The podcast that goes over Exodus 32, which I think is one of the strongest biblical cases for open theism. Not just because of what the text says in Exodus 32, but in Exodus 32 we have the unique position of future biblical commentators writing in the Bible about the event. And do you think they come to it with the assumptions that Calvinists and Arminians would come to? They do not. Very, very important proof text. Very important passage that has biblical commentary in the Bible about this event that happened prior to this commentary. If I ever get a chance to be on a podcast with any Calvinists or Arminians, I'd love to have a textual discussion of Exodus 32 because it's very easy and it's plain to read and the narrative is set up, the motivations are set up, they contribute to the plot and then you got those future commentators and all of that points against classical theology. All the future biblical commentators, they're not Calvinists, they're not Arminians, they are open theists. It's strongly open theistic in the text and in future commentaries. It's a lot harder to reject this text as some sort of anthropomorphism when you got multiple points in the Bible all talking about the same events with the same effect. And the more that a Calvinist or Arminian presses against the text, the more foolish they look. So check out the Exodus 32 podcast. Also check out the podcast on Augustine, Conversions to Confessions. This is a review of a book that is very critical in understanding early Christian theology, and it'll give you a sense of what the theological landscape was during the time of Augustine, and then you can kind of get a picture of how the Christian church got corrupted with these Calvinistic ideas, these ideas that are found in Neoplatonism. In the future, I plan to publish a God is Open book, and the book's already written, and it's been uh, proofread by uh, some friends and so it's ready for publication I just need to get all the publication details ready and finalized and then that can be published but that also will reinforce a lot of the stuff found in the blog 
reading comprehension, intellectual integrity, and uh, very basic biblical theology, just going over chapters of the Bible and just talking about what's literally written there, what it can mean, possibilities and meaning, and just basic reading comprehension. That's always funny to me when people press against reading comprehension. You say, what would a normal reader take this verse? And they say, oh, the normal reader doesn't, he's not spiritual and he doesn't know what he's talking about. The normal reader doesn't know what he's talking about. You're pressing against the normal reading comprehension of the verse and you're just assuming all your stuff over on top of and instead of the normal reading comprehension. All right, buddy. So Saturdays, we publish the podcast. Sundays is a day for worship. I know it's not the original day in the Bible where God rested. It is not Saturday. But Sunday's traditional day of worship in the U.S. And uh, that's the day we post songs that praise God and uh, really sing to his glory. It's kind of important that we do glorify God. It's not just a focus on the abstract. It's a focus on who God is the God of the Bible. So go to our page, go to God is Open, go look at uh, our verse reference project, go look at all the books we link to. We try to round up all the books about open theism and link to them on Amazon so that you have an entire repertoire at your hands that you could get all the latest information, all the latest books, all the latest resources, even books against open theism. We post links to books that are of interest. The Hellenization of Christianity, just talking about how Christianity is Hellenized. That's an example of a miscellaneous book that kind of relates to the field of open theism that we link to. There's in our resources, there's links to free books. Michael Saya has published free PDFs of various books of his. Very worth a read because he is very good at reading and understanding what's going on in the Bible. And it's just straight theology. It's straight biblical comprehension. It's straight understanding of the verses and that's what he tries to publish and talk about it's not abstract philosophy you might hit that in maybe the first or second chapter of his did god know the future but after that he just straight talks about the verses so very interesting and it's a free read and it's very devastating to these classical outlooks again i love submissions so if you want to send me resources to publish to host to link to if you want to be a regular contributor I highly encourage you to contact me and start sending stuff for me to publish. I don't censor. I don't want to monopolize. And when people try to accuse me of trying to present open theism as my own views, trying to represent all of open theism as my own views, I want to avoid that. And so I highly encourage those people to send me stuff as well. They often don't. They are, they're often accusatory towards me of trying to misrepresent open theism, but they won't themselves write about open theism. Put your money where your mouth is. Spend a little bit of time. Spend a little bit of time in theology. Spend a little bit, bit of time publishing, especially if you think I'm giving misinformation. There's about 10 minutes left in this podcast. Let's just talk about the social climate of American politics. Not everyone who listens to this podcast lives in the United States. But in the United States, we just elected a new president. And this is Donald J. Trump. Now, you might hate Trump, you might like Trump, you might have voted for him, you might have not voted for him. That's irrelevant to what we're going to be talking about right now. If you want to look at an open theist take on God and his interaction with government throughout the Bible, there's a podcast for that. There's a podcast on minarchy. That episode is 136, God, Government, and Anarchy. 
And that episode really goes over God's interaction with governments throughout history. And that's worth a listen if you care about politics. Right now, we're not talking about love or hate of any political party. Right now, we're talking about the social situation in the United States. You have the rise of what's known as the alt-right. And the alt-right, they are hyper-nationalistic. They don't like free trade. They don't like immigration. And they hold very leftist social values as well. They love homosexuality. Their key spokesman is Milo Yiannopoulos. Yiannopoulos, I think I'm pronouncing that right. And this is a homosexual who goes from campus to campus just preaching the glories of Donald Trump. And all the feminists, the third wave feminists, the social justice warriors, they get incredibly angry at him. They shout him down. They try to shut down his events and shut down his speaking. What do you think this does? Socially speaking, what do you think this does when someone's targeted and they're charismatic and they're funny and they're good looking and they go around having a good time and having fun and there's these people who are militantly against that person and they try to shut them down at every turn. That turns him into a celebrity and it turns his movement, anything he's advocating, into a popular rebellious movement, a countercultural movement against the status quo. And what these third wave feminists and what these social justice warriors look like, they look like censoring fools who can't deal with opposition. They can't deal with debate. They can't deal with uh, values that are not their own. And their their way of responding to the this phenomena is to shout names. They shout, oh, you're racist or, or homophobic. And it doesn't really work because they're calling a homosexual homophobic. And so, you know, it falls on deaf ears. And everyone realizes that this name calling is just incredibly absurd. And this Trump phenomenon, Trump was elected by a coalition of the alt-right, the people who are dissatisfied with the establishment. You got traditionally blue-collar union states siding with Trump because these people are rejecting the leftist values. They're rejecting what Hillary Clinton is trying to sell them. They're rejecting trade. They're rejecting immigration. They're rejecting the social justice values, the feminist, the third wave feminists. And who does the alt-right have on their side? They have the second wave feminists. They have the Christina Hoff Summers of the world advocating statistical literacy talking about how the third wave feminists use all these stats in incredibly wrong ways. And so the alt-right has their celebrities, and the celebrities are not alt-right themselves. They're people that are able to speak intelligently about why the third wave feminists are wrong, are off base, are irrational, and they're only countered with slurs and name-calling and temper tantrums. If you look at these videos, these people are incredibly triggered, and that turns them into a laughing stock. And Trump may be the first president who has been propelled to the presidency through meme campaigns. There's memes that go around mocking the social justice warriors, lifting up Trump, making these uh, inside jabs at the establishment, these inside jabs at feminism, at people being triggered, at people being crybabies. And what these memes do what being funny, what being relevant does is it creates a counterculture, a fun, a popular counterculture that people want to be a part of. 
Myself, I am not alt-right. I am traditionally conservative, and I'm very right-wing when it comes to things like free trade and regulation and the government's involvement in our life, which is not alt-right values. Alt-right, they hate trade, and they love you know, liberal cultural values. That's what they embrace. But we need to step back, and we need to be objective, and we need to see what's going on in the U.S. and why, why right before the election, Trump's odds of winning were at 7% until the results started flooding in, and then they instantly jumped to 80 then 90% odds of winning. We need to understand why that's happening and how people react. So how does this relate to open theists? How do we learn from this? And what can we take away from this? What we learn about is counterculture, how to create movements, how to sustain movements, and how to make movements popular. If, if you recall what we were talking about, what do the social justice warriors do? What do the leftists do? They scream names. They can't engage in debate. Who does that sound like? Who does that sound like? I joined the Bible Thumping Wingnuts page, and this is a page run by Calvinists. And the moderators there, they could not engage me in debate. I wanted to talk to them about if Paul was an open theist, and they just wanted to talk to me if I was an open theist. I don't care if I'm an open theist or not. Let's look and try to figure out if Paul was an open theist. It doesn't matter who I am personally. That's an ad hominem argument. Let's look at the text and let's figure out what the text says. And what did they turn to right away? They turned to calling me heretics rather than answering my arguments. That's, that happens all the time. They just scream and scream and scream and they throw their little tantrum tantrums and they say, I'm not going to talk to you because you're a heretic. And they just try to shut down conversation. Calvinists are the social justice warriors. Calvinists are these leftists who cry and complain and pout and don't want to engage in debate. They don't want to actually have an intellectual conversation. They'd rather just call people heretics and not have to respond in any intelligent fashion. And who do we have on our side? We have all the secular scholarship. You know, the alt-right, they have Christina Hoff Summers who is very good at statistics and understanding how things work. And she's very good at explaining reality. And, and, and feminists, third-wave feminists, they don't debate her because she just wipes the floor. Who do we have? Who do we have? We got Christine Hayes of the world. These people aren't Christian. These people are secular scholarship. But they admit the same tenets, the same principles that open theists often admit. Just plain reading comprehension of the Bible. These are the canonical critics, the people who want to understand the Bible for how the Bible's written. And they are our allies. And they will help us in our fight against this irrational social justice warrior Calvinism that we encounter all over the place. And so some open theists, they see these people as enemy. They say, oh, don't quote that person because that person's not a Christian. That person's our friend. That person's our ally. That person gives us legitimacy because when scholarship is on our side, when they're affirming the same things that we affirm, that is pretty damning evidence against Calvinism. That shows them that Calvinism, uh, Arminianism, classical theism, it's way off base. It's not what the Bible teaches. And when people affirm those values, they're not affirming scholasticism. They're not affirming real biblical scholarship. 
again, you might be yourself a leftist. There's some very sad pictures that Thomas J. Ord posted from New York when Trump won. And he's all sad, and he thought that Hillary was the candidate of love. You might be like that, but know and learn why the alt-right is on the rise, why Donald Trump got elected. So what should we do? We should try to be relevant. We should be funny. We should make funny memes. Some people get mad at me, some of the memes I make, and they say, you know, that meme could just be turned around against you. Well, I thought of it first, and I posted it, and it's funny. And it undermines them in a very biting way. When Calvinists are seen as the outsiders, when they're portrayed as the outsiders, when they're portrayed as biblically illiterate, that undermines their credibility. And that's what you need to do, because these guys are not scholars. And they go around portraying themselves as scholars, portraying themselves as biblical. They post these videos where they got a mustache and a pipe, and they're like, ah, oh, the Bible, I'm, I'm doing biblical scholarship. You're not. You're not. And telling them that, showing them that, and reinforcing that with funny memes, just undermining and ridiculing them, that's what's going to undermine these Calvinist movements. That's what's going to propel open theism into popular culture, where it's, it's the cool people, it's the people who want to be biblical who are open theists. And the irrational people, the people who are not rational when it comes to the Bible, those are the Calvinists. Those are the people who strong-headedly just reject the Bible. And they do it in such ridiculous and contemptible ways that they're easy to mock. So memes of that nature are very effective, and they're very biting. When people make fun of you, if it's for a reason that you're already insecure of, or it's a reason that you were kind of strong in, but now your doubt's been cast upon that, when people make fun of you in that way, you know, that undermines your confidence. That makes you reevaluate things. And it shows the world your flaws. The emperor has no clothes. Open theists, we need more countercultural figures. We need more Gregory Boyds of the world. You might not agree with him on all his theology, but he's a countercultural figure. He's someone like, for example, the anarchists. The anarchists, they latch onto him, and they might be Calvinists, but they love this guy because what he represents is not mainstream theology, and it's theology that, that uh, is on the edge. The followers of N.T. Wright, are they more or less cool than the followers of Calvin? I would say they're more cool. They're more biblically literate. They understand things better. And N.T. Wright wipes the floor in debates with, for example, James White, these Calvinists who don't know what they're talking about. Let's talk real quick about two different people who are out there making probably the most converts to open theism. You got the Thomas J. Ords of the world who present an edgy, kind of loving type of uh, open theist idea. Then you have the Jesse Morels of the world who are presenting open theism in a very irreverent way against prevailing Calvinist theology. They're out there, they're in your face, they're funny, they draw crowds, and people react. People get triggered, but they create the crowds, they create the attention, they create converts, and this is what we need to do if we want to grow the open theist movement. If you have any questions or comments on today's episode, throw that on the God is Open webpage or throw that also on the Facebook companion page, God is Open. Thank you for listening. <laughs>